Mark chapter 1, as today we begin this gospel that I am super excited to study with you at this juncture of our lives. You know, more than ever, i, I got to be honest with you, I really want to focus on Jesus Christ um, as he is presented in the gospels. Um, I don't know how you guys are when you approach the Bible, when you read the Bible. Um, I, I know in the past I've read the Bible a lot of times thinking about myself. But you got to be careful with that. Um, I want it to be less about me, more about him. Less about who I am, more about who he is. Less about how I am, more about how he is. Less about what I have to do, and more about what he has done. And my prayer is as we go through the Gospel of Mark, that I'll be able to say, look, look, look at what Jesus has done. Look at your Lord. Can you see Christ? You know, I'm so excited about being able to study this with you. And my prayer is that you would see it as a revelation of who God is. You know, and I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but you know how it is when you look at a group photo, you know, they got it printed or whatever, you see it on the phone and there's a group photo and you're in it. Who's the first person you look for, right? You, You look for yourself and you're like, I don't like that picture, delete it type of thing, right? And... You focus on yourself, um, and so you got to be careful that you don't read the Bible that way. Now, visualize there's a photo with you and Jesus in it. Question, who will you look at? My prayer is that you would maybe glance at yourself, but my prayer is that you would gaze upon Jesus. If you're here and you're struggling today, it's because you can't see Jesus. I tell you what, if you see Jesus, your life will reflect that. You will change. I do admit the Bible is a mirror. Uh, In a certain way, we see ourselves. But when I read the Bible, it's more of a, a telescope of hope. It's more of a microscope of hope. It's more of a revelation of God than it is a revelation of me. And so as we go through Mark, I really pray that we would focus on Jesus Christ. And I am thoroughly convinced that as we study this book together, you know, it might take us maybe half a year, maybe a little longer, that God will transform your life. As we look unto Jesus, the Bible says, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, renowned Bible teacher A.T. Pearson, he tells a story about a new convert, it's a true story, who came to Christ. And this young believer had a dream in which he was trapped down in a very deep well in the night. And so as he was trapped in the well, he looked up and he saw a star shining in the sky far above him. And that star, it seemed to let down lines of silver that took hold of him and began to lift him up out of the pit. So he's looking up, he's going up, but then he looked down And when he looked down into the darkness, he started to sink down. And so he looked up, and he went up, and he looked down, and and he went down. And then finally, he just stayed looking up. And as he looked up, he began to go up. and, And as he went up, he finally found himself standing firm out of the pit and onto the ground. 
And so Dr. Pearson told him, you know, this is a parable from God. He's trying to speak to you and he's trying to tell you to get your eyes off yourself, to get your eyes off your circumstances and to fix your eyes on your Savior. And you guys, that's the way it works in life. I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart. I love what Hudson Taylor said. He said, Satan, the hinderer, may build a barrier around us, but he can never roof us in so that we cannot look up. My prayer, you guys, is as we study this gospel together, that we would look up. You know, uh, when we go through our our study, today we're going to see a little bit of Mark, a little bit of John, and a whole lot of Jesus. And I think that's kind of the way life should be. I pray that God would use this Bible to change our life. And so we read in verse 1, the gospel according to Mark. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now I got to give you a little bit of background about Mark, the writer of the book. You know, for a number of reasons, I think it'll help us to understand it better. But man, this guy has a great story. If you remember, he's the nephew of Barnabas, according to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. That must have been pretty exciting. But here's the thing. About halfway through, he quit. He just got afraid. Some say he went running home to mom. I don't know for sure why he left. But, you know, I do know that as a result of that, when they were going to go on their second missionary journey, Paul didn't want the quitter, the splitter. He didn't want him to go with him, right? And so that caused a great contention between Paul and Barnabas. And so they ended up going their separate ways. And these were two guys that were really tight. And so you read that and you think, what a bummer, you know? But the cool thing is it didn't end there. Somewhere down the line, Paul and Mark were reconciled, so much so that Paul called for him when he was about to die in 2 Timothy 4.11, saying that Mark was useful to him for ministry. And so Paul and Barnabas, it's so cool to see what God did through Mark. And they weren't the only ones blessed by him. Uh, So was Peter, according to the scriptures. In 1 Peter 5.13, Peter calls Mark his son. And so either Peter led him to the Lord or Peter poured into him. But this guy, Mark, that we're reading about is tremendous testimony. And as we read his story, we're going to see a lot of it has to do with the perspective of Peter. You know, when you read the Gospel of Mark, a couple of things, you might wonder why there are four Gospels in the Bible. You know, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And the answer is because God wanted to give us the four dimensions, the four perspectives. Uh, They're different, but they're not conflicting. What you find is when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they actually complement each other. And together, what we do is we get a complete picture of Jesus Christ according to the will of what the Father wanted us to have. You guys probably know Matthew is written to the Jew, and he presents Jesus as king. Luke is written to the Greeks, and he presents Jesus as a man. John is written to the world, and he presents Jesus as God, while Mark is written with the Romans in mind, and he presents Jesus as the servant. And so, as you go through Mark, you're going to see not as many sermons. You're going to see a lot of action, 
on the part of Jesus. He is just, boom, you see the word immediately, 42 times. He is immediately serving, just casting out demons, healing the sick, just doing all these crazy things. And in a world, in the Roman Empire, 60 million slaves, it would be an encouragement to them to know that their God, their Messiah, was also a bondservant of the Father. And so um, it's, it's the gospel, verse 1, the beginning of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does gospel mean? You guys know? Good news. Anybody here can use some good news just out of curiosity, man? You know, we don't hear a lot of good news nowadays. So we do hear a lot of news, that's for sure. As a matter of fact, anyone here addicted to news just out of curiosity? You like watching the news all day long? Go in your truck or car and you turn on the news? I know United States of America is pretty much addicted to the news. But you guys know this uh, just as well as I do, man. You turn on the news and... You know, this police officer who was sworn in yesterday gets shot today. I mean, and then you read about this little baby that was abandoned and, you know, some of them die, some of them don't. I mean, you just the crazy things that we read, all the news, the heartbreaking stories, all the bad news in this fallen world. I am so grateful that we have the good news. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. You guys, the good news that we can be saved from our sins, that we can be saved from ourselves, that we can be set free, that we can be forgiven no matter what it is that we've done, that heaven is our home. One day we'll be there simply because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You guys, that is the good news. That is the, the best news that anyone could hear and this is what this book is all about. Right here in verse 1, Mark identifies Jesus as the Son of God, and therefore we know that He's God the Son. You guys know that, right? That blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Jesus is God the Son. And so this book is about Him. And we read in verses 2 and 3 um, about John, who is the forerunner to Christ. Look what it says. It says in verse 2, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You know, Mark, it's interesting, he's written to the Romans, and so... Unlike Matthew, which is just filled with scriptures, Mark only has two quotations, and they're right here. He's writing to the Romans, and he presents Jesus in this way. But these two passages are very powerful regarding John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. He quotes from Malachi 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He speaks now of John the Baptist. He would be the one sent before Christ, preparing the way. He was the voice. They didn't have PA systems, crying in the wilderness, right? And just getting the people ready for the coming of the Savior of the world. You know, we see that word prepare in verse 2 and prepare in verse 3. 
And the word means to make ready. It means to make the necessary preparations. It's actually a Greek word that gives us a word picture at the Oriental customs of sending people out. Before a king would arrive in any country, the forerunners would go and they would smooth the way, they would cut off branches, and they would make sure that nothing would get in the way for the coming of the king. And, and you guys, just as a, taking that concept and, and just bringing it to practical application, you know, God doesn't want anything to get in the way of Him in our life. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of Him coming in and flooding our hearts with His love. And so God will send out messengers, and sometimes God will send out messes, because God is trying to prepare a way. For the coming of the Christ. You see, here we see Jesus is the one that's on his way. My prayer is that nothing would get in the way of what Jesus wants to do today. Right here, right now, God wants to do business with us. God wants to bring people to consecration, to concentration, to sanctification, to absolute surrender. Right here in this building right now, God wants to bring people to salvation. And so what he does is he sends messes and he sends messengers and he sends people like John the Baptist, or if you're a girl, Joan the Baptist. It doesn't really matter, right? One of the two. And he's just trying to tell him, I, you, you got a God who loves you. You got a God who died for you. Man, I tell you what, don't let anything get in the way of that God who loves you and the work that he wants to do in your life. And so the, the ministry of John, there in verse 4 begins. It says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So how do you get ready? How do you get ready? Seriously, you know, you guys ever think about it, that one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ? I mean, and he's going to be sitting there on his throne, and we're going to be there right in front of him? How do, you, how do you get ready? How do you get ready for the coming of the Lord? How do you get ready for the day that you die? And none of us knows when that day will be. How, how do we get ready? Well, there's a few things we see here in our study today. One word that definitely stands tall is that word, uh, repent. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You see, he went out to the Jordan River and he called people to be baptized as an outward expression of an inward work of the Holy Spirit. You guys know how it is when someone gets baptized? We don't just sprinkle them, man. No, we take them and we dunk them underneath. And if they're really bad, we keep them down longer, right? That's kind of what we do. And so, you know, that's, the, that's what baptism is on the outside, but it symbolizes something so much more, right? It symbolizes that we go down and die. The old man dies and, and he's buried, but that's okay. Don't worry, don't freak out because the new man, the new woman rises in power, you see? And so he's calling people to get baptized 
And he's telling them it's a baptism of repentance where you die to self and you, you know, you turn from your sins. I mean, the bottom line is this. If you want God, you got to get, you got to get ready and you got to get real. And you got to be willing to get rid of any sin that would hinder your life. Not because God's a killjoy. You know, it's because God knows that those sins, they're just not good for you. They're not good for your family. They're not good for your friends. They're not good for the destiny that I have for you. And so he's calling people to do business with God, but there won't be any business with God unless we're willing to repent, unless they're at least willing to change, right? Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I have a hard time with, you know, this addiction that I have or, you know, I'm trying and I keep, you know, slapping my face against the wall or falling on the floor and failing and, and you, you know, but, but that's okay. Do you want to change? Do you want to be set free? Do you want the power of God? Then you got to come to Him willing to change. And I am here to promise you today that He will give you the power to change. It only comes from Him. But you got to want it, see? And when you want it, God does such an awesome work. You know, these people, they're coming to be baptized. There's that word repentance. There's this word confession. You know, they're confessing their sins, you know? And for us as Christians and read the Bible, we know we don't need to go to a priest to be, you know, forgiven of our sins, any of you here, do you remember those days when you used to go to a priest? You sit down in a little room, it's kind of weird, smelled good, but um, <laughs> open up the little, well, actually he opened it up, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, it's been 17 years since my last confession, and these are my sins, and then you start laying it out on him, and I don't know, I think he's reading a book while I'm talking, man. It just seemed like he was never really paying attention, but eventually he would say, okay, say seven Hail Marys and ten Hail Fathers and, you know, go out and act a contrition and God bless you. And he would do that little sign thing right there, right? You would see that through the screen, but then what do you do? You go out and kind of do it again, you know? And then what? You got to go back to confession. That's why Martin Luther lived in the confession booth, man. And so for us, you don't have to go to a priest. He's just a man. Maybe he loves the Lord. I'm not dogging on him. All I'm saying is that you just got to go to God. That's all you got to do. You get down. You go on your knees. You open up your heart. You ask him to search you and to try you and to show you anything that doesn't belong. And then you bring it to God. And I tell you what will happen is you will experience on the inside what baptism is on the outside. And you will finally die to self. And you will rise in power, you guys. And so this is the ministry of John. And man, look at verse 5. All the land of Judea, those from Jerusalem, man, they went out to him and they were baptized by him. Theologians believe there were hundreds of thousands of people that went to this guy. And I don't know about you, but do you guys ever like kind of think like what one of his sermons would have been like? Can you guys visualize him? Anointed, appointed, bold powerful, the forerunner, predicted in the Old Testament. I mean, John must have been really cool, right? And, and so you're thinking, well, John, man, this guy right here, he must have been super special, right? Like maybe there was a halo around his head or he glowed or he walked, you know, above the ground. And, and look, but look what we read. He says in verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and, and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, 
whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, John was once in all that. He, he didn't have a three-piece suit or even a seamless robe. He didn't have designer jeans. He wasn't much to look at. He had a simple wardrobe. He had a simple diet, a lot of protein in the diet, but, um, you know, a real simple guy. A lot of people say that in looking at him, there was like the spirit of Elijah on him. So he was a, a great prophet, but, but super, super simple, right? I mean, you know how we can get so caught up in the things that we wear, huh? You guys, I mean, I mean, you're looking good, don't get me wrong, but the bottom line is, how many of you here put on 10 outfits before you're like, okay, I'll wear this today, you know? And it's funny how I'll, I'll even ask my wife or my kids, I'm all, did I wear this shirt last week? Because I don't want to wear the, the same shirt like two weeks in a row. And, and the ladies are like, did I wear that dress last year? And I'm like, what? You know... <laughs> We should just make a deal right here, right now, that it's okay to wear the same clothes every week, okay? Because look at John. It didn't matter what he, he wore. It didn't matter what he ate. Any of you here ever ate bugs out of curiosity? Anybody here? I have. I, we ate them in Cambodia, man. Go to Cambodia. You will be blessed with the spirit of John the Baptist. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You know, but it's simple clothing, simple diet, simple man, simply a man. And that's what excites me about what we're, where we're heading now, you guys. We're heading to a place where it's all about Jesus. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the evangelist. It's not about the prophet. It's not about the man. It's not about the woman. It's all about Jesus Christ. And that's what John is trying to say right here. You know, there comes one after me, mightier than me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. That would be the responsibility of the lowest slave. A Jew could never untie a fellow Jew's sandal. This is a very, very low thing. Even though we would exalt him and would say, well, look at how big his church is. Look at how many hundreds of thousands of people go and listen to him. And he's so anointed and he's appointed by God. He's a forerunner prophesied in the Old Testament. And look at all these people getting baptized by him. But here he is, the first one. We got to listen to what he says. I'm just a man. I'm a wicked man. I'm a wretched man. All men should be open and transparent about that. We should never have any man or woman that we think walks on water, they don't sin, because really what that does is that gets people's eyes on that person. Let's be real, man. Let's be open. Let's admit the fact that we are all sinners. There is only one without sin. His name is Jesus. There is only one that can help you. Only one. His name is Jesus. You know, when I do a sermon, I try to come up with nice points, and sometimes I do, and most of the time I don't, you know? But the Lord has taught me, He said, man, it's not about your points. It's just whether or not you'll be willing to point them to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth, and Jesus is with you. He said, I'll baptize with water. I, I baptize you with water. 
But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You guys, that's what we need. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself struggling and you're, you know, you're failing. You feel like you're failing in all the roles and responsibilities you've been given in life. And, you know, as a husband or maybe a dad or some type of minister or whatever the case may be. And, and you know, uh, I don't know. All, all I know is this, that when God comes into your life, not that you'll be perfect, but you'll be proper and you will be powerful. And God will work in you and God will work through you because when you first become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. That's what happens when we place our faith in Jesus and thank God, now we will go to heaven when we die. But what about while we live? And what John is saying right here is, I baptize you with water and that's special and that's cool, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's when the power of God comes on your life. You guys, that's what we need. That's Luke 24, 49. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said, Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, you guys. And this is what John is sharing with them. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, not downplaying the significance of baptism and symbolism. I believe that if you're a Christian, you should be baptized. But what I'm trying to say, and I think what John is trying to say, is what you really want is what only God can give. You see? I mean, that's what we want, you guys. I don't know how you guys are doing. I just really pray that if there's anyone here who needs power, who wants the power of God, that that today would be the day that you open up your heart, that you wouldn't accept a life where I just survive. No, a life where you thrive. That you wouldn't say, well, at least my head's above water. No, I believe that God is available to help you walk on water. I believe that you can be a person, not you know, running to your God and complaining how big your mountains are, but going to those mountains and telling them how big your God is. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, and he's the, he's the X factor. He's the difference between walking that victorious Christian life and living on leftovers. And right here, I just... Think of what even my brother Mark would say. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Look at what he does for us. Verse 9, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so a little bit of Mark, a little bit of John, and a whole lot of Jesus. Are you ready? Are you guys excited? You're like, yeah, because I want to go have lunch. You're almost done. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> Man, I'm so excited. I was telling the first service that, you know, I'll just share this with you guys. You know, I, I want, I, I know a lot of marriages are struggling and I want marriages to be blessed because 
I know how difficult that can be. And so I was thinking, man, we should do a series on marriage, you know, and we'll kind of whip them into shape, you know, with a series on marriage. And and I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not lying when I say, and I think about the single people that are here and how much I, my heart goes out to them and I want them to be get, to get married. I do, you know, and sometimes I feel like I should hook people up. I also think that... <laughs> You know, but at the same time, you know, just being single is so difficult. You know, my heart goes, so I was thinking, well, maybe I should do a series on singleness or a single uh, series on marriage or maybe being a good steward or whatever, you know, ministry and this and that and the other. And and then the Lord just said, well, just do a, a study on Jesus. Because when you, when, you, when you share Jesus, everything comes together. He's the answer. It's not a program. It's a person. It's not any other man. Every other man will fall short and fail you. Only Jesus will never fail you. And so we, we come now to his life, and I'm so excited. You know, the first thing we read right here is that in, in those days, he he comes from Nazareth and he goes to John in the Jordan to get baptized. According to Luke 3.23, he's about 30 years old now, Jesus is. And he comes to identify really with the ministry of John. And so he's baptized by him, right? But this would be a different baptism, to say the least, right? I mean, when Jesus got baptized and he came up from the water, the heavens were Literally in the Greek, it says they were torn open. The heavens were torn asunder, and the Spirit then descended upon him like a dove, and then the Father spoke. This is a pretty cool baptism. Imagine hearing the words from heaven, and the Father said, You are, he, the Father speaks to the Son. He says, You are the Son, my Son. I love you, and I am so proud of you. I am so pleased with you. That's what. The father said. Now, I don't know what Jesus' life was up to for the first 30 years. Hopefully, do you guys ever think about that? Maybe when we get to heaven, they'll have like a video series on that, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, because, you know, the nowadays they like to speculate. They don't have a clue, man. But it, it was a mystery. It is a mystery to me. Just that God became a man. That the God of all the universe who made everything and maintains everything by the power of his word. That that God who, you know, controls every cell and every star and, and not one is missing every day. That that God was conceived within the womb of Mary, born as a baby, and then grew up on the poor side of town in a rowdy, rough neighborhood called Nazareth. So bad, wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. I mean, what did he do all those years? It's a, it's a mystery to me. And, and again, we don't know. Um, what we do know is that he pleased his father all those years, you know. But I don't know. Maybe it was rough growing up for Jesus. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean... You know, what was going through his mind when he was learning to walk? I mean, here's God learning to walk. What was going through his mind when he was learning to talk? What was going through his mind when he knew that he had to cry because he was hungry? I mean, what was going through his mind when the other kids made fun of him because he always followed the rules or, or harassed him or pushed him around? And then the devil walks in when he goes home trying to beat him down. I mean, what was going through 
Jesus' mind when he got hurt physically or, I don't know, when he got his first pimple or had a bad haircut, you know? I mean, what was going through his mind all those years? Um, when he, think about this, he wasn't able to see his father with his eyes. He wasn't able to hear his father's voice with his ears all those years. How that worked, it's shrouded in mystery. I don't know, but I do know this, that now he's 30 years old and he's about to do his mission. This is what he came for. This is what he was born for. And after 30 years of who knows what, he gets baptized. And then he hears his father's words. I love you, son. And I am pleased with you. Imagine that. I mean, to me, it just blows my mind. When we go through our study today, we're going to see three things about Jesus. One is that he pleased the, the Father. Second is that he defeated the devil. And third is that he reached out to the people. And that is so cool when you look at the ministry of Jesus and what he did. I mean, he had to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and baptized because even he couldn't do ministry without that dove upon his life. And so we read in verse 12 that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. And just looking at Jesus, just looking at Jesus, you know, here we see, and it's kind of odd to read that he was driven by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. You know, but there's a saying that goes like this, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And there's something about this battleground right here where Jesus went in for 40 days and the Bible tells us that he fasted for 40 days. Think about that because, again, he needs power. He's emptied himself of his divine resources, according to Philippians 2, verse 7. So he needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want power in your life over the devil, I'm telling you what, you're going to have to fast. You're going to have to fast. Sooner or later, you're going to have to pray. And so there's Jesus fasting and praying for uh, 40 days. Think about that. Before he enters into ministry, he had to first set the pace and make a statement that he had power over the devil. Because Satan himself came and tempted him. And you read it in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, all the details of this whole time. But what we find is that Jesus passed those tests with flying colors because he was in it for the right reason. He was in it for the the glory of God and the good of the people, right? And so we read next in verse 14, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so it all starts. I'm so excited to be able to study this with you guys. Now, the ministry of Jesus Christ, you know, and as we fix our eyes on him, he is going to do an awesome work in our life. 
You know, regarding John the Baptist, we're going to see more in Mark chapter 6, how he was put in prison because he told Herod, the ruler, that he was in sin for taking his brother's wife. And so he's in prison. God didn't necessarily author that, but God allowed that. And God would actually work it out for good because now the people would be less tempted to follow John and more inclined to follow Jesus. You remember what John said? Because everybody was going to Jesus and John's disciples were complaining and he said, that's okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. He's the bridegroom, the church is the bride. He must increase, I must decrease. You guys, we are in this for Jesus because that's who the people need. And so Jesus begins now and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, I just want to close with this, you guys. You know, he, 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 he pleases his father. He defeats the devil. And what's he doing now? He's reaching out to the people. He's reaching out to the people. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want all of you. I want the whole wide world to go to heaven. I want you to know what you were made for. I want you to fulfill your destiny. I want you to know that I love you and I will never stop loving you. I want you to know that I know everything you're going through. I know every single tear you've shed. I know. I know all the thoughts you think even before you think them. I know when you sit down and know when you rise up and everything in between. And even if you were to take the wings of the morning and travel at 186,000 miles per second at the speed of light, you can't run away from me because I love you. That's who Jesus is. He pleases the Father. He defeats the devil and he reaches out to the people. And he's just saying, man, I want you. I love you. But this is what you got to do. It's so simple. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's here preaching what? The kingdom of God. You guys, and then at the end of the day, we see the word gospel there in verse 1, the good news of Jesus, the king. And now what do we have? The good news of Jesus, the king of the kingdom. And to me, I get really excited about that. Do you guys ever think about that? That Jesus is one day we're going to be in heaven and even before then we're going to have the thousand year reign of Christ. It's going to be so cool, you know? I mean, I don't know how you guys feel. Anyone here going to vote for Donald Trump? Just out of curiosity. I won't make you raise your hand. You know, I think about all these guys and you know, who knows, maybe Marco Rubio's cool or Ted, I can't endorse anybody as a pastor, but you know, I mean, I don't know what would happen if uh, uh, these guys went into office. I, I cringe at, at the thought of Hillary and uh, Bernie Sanders and all that kind of stuff, you know. But as we're here, and I do encourage you, please pray for our next president and I do encourage you guys to vote. But you know, um, even though I am praying along those lines, my passion is not the president of the United States. My passion is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because I know the tattoo he has on his thigh. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. 
And so I'm trying to convince my wife to let me have one. No, I'm just joking. I won't. I'm just joking. I, you know, he has on his thigh, the Bible says, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what do you got to do to go into that kingdom? You got to repent right there. Repent, turn, and turn towards God. Believe in the gospel. What do you got to do? Simple answer is Jesus. And so as you walk away today, you know, I thank God that I am not, you know, a good teacher. I thank God for that. Because a lot of times people like, man, you know, they fall asleep. And that's okay, you know. (laughs) It's all right. But I don't want people walking away. I don't want anyone ever walking away. Ever, never, ever walking away saying, good sermon. I don't want that. I don't want people to say that was a good sermon. I want them to walk away saying we have a good Savior. I really pray that this church would be all about Jesus. Why? It's because I know he's the giver of life. I know he's the one that will pick you up and give you a new start. I know that. But you have to let him. You have to make that choice. Let me close with one last story. It's a true story about a very wealthy man who was an art collector. And apparently this man was a widower. His wife had passed away. And he had a son and together uh, they, they collected art. This son kind of filled the void of the passing of his wife. And apparently this man was very wealthy, and, and he had all the good works of art. Any of you guys here like art, just out of curiosity? I, I love art. I like to go down to the museums and just look at the, the gobs of paint on the canvas. I like you know, the weird guys for whatever reason, Van Gogh. Um, I like Monet a lot. He's not as weird. But, you know, I mean, just some of those. This guy had, this is a true story. This guy had all these works of art, the Van Goghs, the Picassos, the Monets. And so uh, great, you know, art collection, great relationship with his son. But as time progressed, the war started. And the young man enlisted into the army and he went overseas. And it was a vicious war, and the father prayed frequently that his son would be okay. But what happened one day, the knock came to the door. It was near Thanksgiving Day, and there was a telegram, and it was bordered in black, and it said the young man had died. He died bravely in combat, and he was trying to evacuate others that were under fire. And so the father was distraught. The father was in anguish and sorrow. And as time progressed, he had a hard time thinking, how will I celebrate Christmas without my son? But then there was a knock at the door, and the father opened it to find a soldier there who was carrying a package. And as he talked with the soldier, he said to the man, your son and I, we became very close on the battlefield. And he told me all about your art collection. He said, I myself am an artist, and I wanted to give this to you. And so the father took the package in his hands. He unwrapped it. And there in front of him 
was a portrait of his son in striking detail. He said it wasn't a masterpiece, but it became the most precious work of art the father had ever seen because it was a portrait of his son. And so he looked at it, and he wept, and he took that painting, and he put it in the most prominent place right there over the fireplace. And as the months passed, apparently the old man received letter after letter telling of the bravery and the selflessness of his son and how many lives he had saved and touched. And with every passing day, the portrait over the fireplace, it even became more and more precious to him. He eventually described it as the greatest gift he'd ever received. Well, you fast forward a number of years, and eventually the father died. And so at this, the news went out throughout the world that this vast collection of art would now be available to the whole wide world. And they came from everywhere. They came because they knew the auction was to begin and they would have access to the Van Goghs and the Picassos and the, the Monets and they were ready with their money and they were ready to bid. But as the auction began, the auctioneer began with the opening bid to start with the portrait of the sun. And he said, who will bid $100 for this portrait of the sun? And the room was silent. No one was there for that reason. As a matter of fact, people began to shout, away with the sun. Bring out the Monets. Bring out the Picassos. Bring out the Van Goghs. And the auctioneer said, I have specific instructions from my master that this auction was to begin with the bidding of the son. And so the room being silent, eventually a man in the back raised his hand and said, I, I knew him. He was a fine young man. I don't have a lot of money. That's not why I'm here. But I'd be willing to, to pay $50 for the son. And so the auctioneer then proceeded with the auction. He said, going once, going twice, sold to the man in the back, the portrait of the sun. And then the gavel hit the wood, and he said, the auction is over. And everyone was upset, and they said, you know, we are here for this great collection, the Monets and the Picassos and the Van Goghs. And then the man said this, as everyone sat there in stunned belief, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes a son gets it all. And that's what Jesus is. 